This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas Association of School Business Officials. School finance and operations professionals make public schools thrive. Begin your journey in this rewarding profession at TASBO.org. And Texas Farm Bureau. Find affordable health coverage through Texas Farm Bureau's health plans. For more information or to get a quote, go to TFBHealthPlans.com or call 877-500-0140. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor for News and Politics for the Tribune. It is July 14th and we finally have a property tax deal. After months and months and months of fighting and two special legislative sessions, lawmakers on Thursday sent an $18 billion property tax cut to Governor Greg Abbott's desk, where we assume it will be signed in short order. That brought an end, as we said, to a second special session of the legislature. We're going to talk about that today and what's coming next. And joining us to discuss that are Texas Tribune reporter Karen Brooks Harper, who has covered this issue for us. Hey, Karen. Hey. And from the Texan news outlet, pol politics reporter Brad Johnson. Hey, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So, Karen, I want to start with you. There have been lots of negotiations, lots of proposals kicked around. What is in this final package that is being sent to the governor? What are we what kind of savings are we going to be seeing here? Well, if you're um, if you're a homeowner who lives in your home, that that property will see an average, and I'm gonna that's doing a lot of work here. That word mm -hmm. average um, savings of in the neighborhood of 41, 42 percent. If you're senior citizen, a Texan with a disability, you get a little bit more than that, maybe 44, 45 percent. That is not across the board. That's not a percent that's in the law. That's the that's what it shakes out to based on average. It's going to vary, but that's the that's the marquee number for, you know, the average of the 5.7 million homeowners. So then, then there's also an across the board school property tax decrease by by uh, 10.7 cents, um, which is kind of the, the tax rate. You know, we don't need to get into the esoteric details, but <clears throat> so that's going to that's going to drop um, uh, those taxes, an average of about. Brad, is it like 24 to 28% on average for all the property owners? We'll see that kind of reduction. I think that's one of the numbers I saw. Um, that's the number. Yeah, I saw. around there. Okay. Um, and then um, and then there is the uh so that's gonna be that's a that's the the biggest price tag in this thing. It's gonna be seven and a half billion in new money, five point three billion in previous 2019 money. So that's like a $12.6 billion price tag on that particular one. The homeowner's exemption, which goes from 40 to 40,000 to 100,000 homestead exemption savings I was talking about a minute ago, that's a $5.3 billion price tag. So the rest of the $18 billion, that's an estimate mm -hmm. um, package is, uh, is going to things like franchise tax uh, reductions, like savings. People don't have to file the taxes if they don't pay the taxes anymore, kind of a thing and then there's also some reductions there and then there's this novel new program uh that's going uh into the tax code that we haven't seen before in texas which is a temporary they're very careful to say that 20 percent appraisal cap 
uh, or in a cap on, you know, value values increases basically for um, non-homesteaded properties. So that is business properties, uh, rental homes, beach houses, you know, multifamily units, grocery stores, you know, oil and gas, which is actually significant, um, minerals in general, as long as they're valued at 5 million or below this year. <laughs> they, that can change by a percentage depending on the comptroller. Uh, and that's a three-year program that will be sunsetted, if that's the right word, in both the lit statute. And I believe they ended up changing the constitutional amendment to that, too, so that they could like do legislative ends around later. So um, those are the four big pieces. And then there's a there's a component that I, I haven't actually looked too far into. Brad's probably a little more up on this than I am about um, elected or uh, appointed term uh, appraisal boards that are supposed to, they're designed in a way that they'll be more accountable to the public. But again, I, I, I'm sorry to say I haven't done as much research on that one as I can. I was looking at the dollars on this one, but that's a selling point of this one also. What there isn't in there is, is protections for like renters, the guarantees for that kind of thing. But I imagine you'll get into that. I don't think I missed anything. <laughs> I think I got that same one. The appraisal. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Brad, I wanna go to you and ask a little bit about the politics of this. We'll get a little bit more into the substance and the impact of this law here in a bit. But of course, the reason that it took so long to get a property tax cut was because despite the fact that the big three, the leaders of the House and the Senate and Governor Abbott all really wanted this, they disagreed strongly on how to do this. You had Dan Patrick really pushing for homestead exemption. You had Phelan, uh, the House Speaker, for at least a considerable amount of time, wanting to do essentially just across the board tax cuts, cuts to the rates. Abbott was at one time on board with that. They ended up going with, you know, something that included a major homestead exemption increase. What should we take away? I mean, is it is it possible to kind of declare winners and losers in that political fight? Do we feel like Patrick got most of what he wanted. How do you kind of react to the the kind of interpersonal dynamics of this? Well, you know, after hundreds of days of this dispute going all the way back to the middle of the regular session, you know, we kind of ended up about back where we started with obviously compression, which is the main portion of all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, the homestead exemption, although it turned out to be higher than what the Senate originally asked for, they just wanted a a $70,000 homestead exemption plus another bump for elderly and disabled. Um, they got $100,000 across the board. And then the House wanted an appraisal cap. They got an appraisal cap. Now it's, a, as Karen mentioned, it's a trial run um, and it's much smaller than what the House originally wanted. But in the end, the compromise came out with all three of those aspects. And so how do we sift out who's the winner, who's the loser? I think they all got aspects of what they wanted. And I think by and large, they got what they wanted more than anything else. Maybe Patrick's slightly different on this, but governor especially fits this is they got something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is a lot of money. Um, $18 billion is the number they're citing. As Karen said, you know, 5.3 of that is for, you know, the 2019 compression that was passed. So it, it, they're kind of double counting there when they sure. say the $18 billion number, but um, it is $18 billion in new money. So that is, that is accurate, even though it's an old law that a portion of that's going towards, but, you know, ultimately after this long drug out fight, uh, 
at some points people thought that they, they might not get anything. Uh, you know, the, the speaker and the Lieutenant governor were, were very much at odds. And then all of a sudden they did kind of a reset and uh, whatever it was, maybe um, they'd had enough of, of this stalemate. Um, all the legislators are, are exhausted. Um, the Lieutenant governor and speaker said that, um, it, you know, ultimately this war of attrition just left everybody ready to compromise more, um, I think. And, uh, Lieutenant Governor is probably a pretty big winner in this because he got the 100,000 homestead exemption when the uh, the House and the governor were united in just compression during mm-hmm. the first uh, first session and then most of the rest of the sec- second special session. But um, the speaker drew a hard line on some sort form of appraisal cap and he got that. So I think everybody's leaving with something that they that they like. Yeah, Karen, I mean, the, the appraisal cap issue here feels a little bit like I, I wonder how big of an impact it will actually have. I mean, as already mentioned, it's temporary, right? It will expire eventually. A 20% cap on appraisal increases, you know, not unheard of, but it's, you know, that's a, a pretty big increase. You know, those of us who live in Austin might be familiar with 20% increases in, in recent years, but it's not something you're going to see every year. And the fact that it's on properties valued at 5 million or lower that aren't considered homesteads, because of course, homesteads already have that 10% growth cap. I mean, that feels like not the most kind of in terms of the impact on like what kind of taxes are going to be collected, not the most significant part of this this law. Am I missing something there? Well, it's just sticking their toes in the water. And there's a couple of reasons for that, because there's first of all, there's very broad uh, criticism outside the House chamber of an appraisal cap across the board. They don't know how much it would cost. Businesses are, do not like that. Um, necessarily for some reason, you know, I mean, I mean, there's, you know what, I'm not even going to go into all the things. It's just, we take too long to talk about all the things. People were worried that it would mess with the market. And then, mm-hmm. but politically, there's a huge groundswell for people wanting to, wanting appraisal caps on businesses, even in, in homes, right? Even if they don't know um, really what it would do. So, um, politically, it seems like they needed something to bring back to those particular grassroots, but also they can kind of keep a rein on the cost because it won't be, um, it won't be as broad as, um, as, you know, the original proposal was to just do the appraisal cops all the way for everybody, you know, for all the, um, so, you know, there's a, a, a large number of businesses and commercial properties that are under $5 million, um, you know, and you're talking probably most Texans, you know, rental properties or second homes. And, you know, um, the fact that it brings in minerals is interesting because Brad, again, I, I like to bring you in on it because you've been right there for the whole time too. Um, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're, all, they're per parcel, not per entire business interest for, so one business can have five stores and each store can be less than 5 million and they each get that appraisal cap that's actually could have some impact, especially if you're talking about minerals companies, right? Um, I think that deserves a lot more study. And and I think, I, I believe I heard them say that it would be about a $300 million a year um, program perhaps, but that might, they might've been speaking on something else, but it wasn't a very high number. And they, 
they feel like they can see what it does for the next few years before they consider maybe broadening it. But the other thing is that there's, you know, um, the comptroller can shift it to a certain degree, that number based on, you know, consumer um, price index. So like the inflation, right? So it doesn't have to stick at 5 million. It could wind up higher than that um, before the three years is out. So, you know, it's, it's, it's as close to the appraisal cap as they were going to get, but it is an appraisal cap. And, and, and the fact that they're calling it a circuit breaker just tells you that they really don't want it being an appraisal cap in the rhetoric out there. Um, sure. They're calling it the circuit breaker because it's temporary and because it's kind of aimed at lower values. At least that's what Betcourt was telling me. But, you know, Huffman and the other Senate finance members and the other budget writers have acknowledged publicly and very plainly that it's not income based. It's not targeted towards, you know, your ability to pay. It's not your true like political cir circuit breaker. I know nobody can see my air quotes when I'm using air quotes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, this fight, as we tried to kind of think through the idea of homestead exemptions uh, pushed by Dan Patrick or, you know, broad compression, um, which, you know, the idea of compression is essentially lowering the property tax rate equally across everyone who pays property taxes. As we tried to kind of evaluate this during these debates, one of the things that we really tried to think about is so who benefits from what plan, right? And, and Dan Patrick's plan Essentially, what it was aiming to do as he was discussing this was to direct more of the savings towards homeowners than it being, you know, the same percentage across the board. What I there's a, a, a statistic in your story, Karen, um, from the Texas Taxpayers and Research Association talking about how the expectation that they have from this is that it will in some ways shift some of the school tax burden toward businesses from homeowners. The numbers that she cited is that businesses currently pay around 52% of school taxes. That will go up to 55% of school taxes. Homeowners, meanwhile, their share, according to this estimate, um, will drop from 48% to 45%, 44.8% essentially. You know, Brad, I think everyone's getting savings here. Is there any risk of a pushback from businesses, of a backlash from businesses? Is there frustration from businesses to be seeing that, you know, somewhat subtle shift? Well, Garen mentioned the the businesses not wanting um, the appraisal cap. And back during the, the regular session, it, that was the case. But there was this interesting dynamic where big businesses um, didn't like the appraisal cap, but mm. it was the very small ones that would benefit the most from this kind of thing because they're, you know, their margins are a lot tighter and yeah. they, yeah. Um, you know, a 5% appraisal cap, which is at the time what the plan was, a proposal was, would, would really help them. Um, then it got kind of into this, this, this argument about effect on the market. And, you know, there are, the the Senate pointed to California as an example of issues that can come from that, but the House pointed to Florida. Florida has an appraisal cap too. We don't see issues there like we do in California. So both sides have their arguments. Mm -hmm. um, as far as shifting the burden, um, you know, compression applies to everybody equally, but that's only, uh, you know, in the, in the calculation. Um, 
you know, in terms of how much money comes out of people's pockets, you know, when you raise the homestead exemption, that means fewer, there's less money coming out of homeowners into the school finance system. And so that's going to go somewhere else. Um, there was a lot of talk about, well, how do we, how do we get um, not only the state, but these school districts to spend less money? And that's not really something that's ever, ever fully addressed. You know, it's talked about here and there. Um, but then you add to the fact that inflation has been really bad the last last couple of years. And um, the that's affecting school district budgets and the costs they're incurring, not only for just day-to-day operations, but also building. Um, you know, it, it, it costs a lot more to build a new school or heck, build a, you know, an athletic stadium, things like that. So it, it's just kind of like a shell game sh- shifting around mm. where the biggest pot of money is coming from. But overall, you know, it's not really going to change things that much um, because this is not, this reform is not, you know, a, a move away from the property tax system. It is, it is inc- at root increasing the state's share of payments into the school finance system for the next biennium that there's a whole other discussion to have is this sustainable you know if we don't have another massive surplus next session can they continue to do this um that's a question that will we won't have answered till next session but um for now it's it's going to reduce property tax payments um in the short run i do i am interested in the conflation of the school funding next time around for this like the sustainability and this push for vouchers which would ultimate could ultimately lower the enrollment numbers in schools you know in public education right that's would be the i don't know how big an effect that would be honestly i don't even i don't know but presumably if school if students are to exit public schools and go to private schools or parochial schools on the voucher program that they're debating at the same time as we're debating more school funding later this year, right? Then that could wind up in less money that they can just or try can try to justify sending less money to schools in two years. Whether I mean, there's going to be a there's a just a cacophony of voices that are screaming right now. You know, listening to this, I'm sure going, but it's not enough right now. And 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 that's not a new that's not a new point of view. Obviously, it's something we've been hearing for a long time is that the schools are underfunded, but. Um, but I'm interested to see, like you are, what happens in 2025? Is it 25? Are we there in 25 yet? I don't know. It feels like. <laughs> what year is it? Yeah. Um, 2025, when they come back with, you know, either surplus or not, and, you know, there's they're $18 billion on the hook um, or not. You know, I don't know. Let's see. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and then they have this this appraisal program that they would need to like figure out what to do with um so uh it's it's interesting i that's yeah. all i had yeah I on mean, the, go ahead, on the school choice aspect you know the senate tried to at the beginning tried to solve that concern in reimbursing school districts you know plus some you know giving them ten thousand dollars per student of theirs that left under this program. Obviously it didn't go anywhere, but that was an effort to try and, um, you know, hold these schools harmless as they like to say on all this school finance stuff. But um, it's, I, that would have to, you know, that, that would hold, have implications for 
the state's share of funding in this and yeah how much is yep. Yeah, because that just that makes the program so much even that much more expensive, right? And 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 plus they could take that away at any point. <laughs> so yeah. gonna, put that in place now and then say, well, it's not working. So all right, you guys are doing fine. Let's just, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Karen, you mentioned the idea of, you know, certain people making the argument that schools are already not sufficiently funded. This was, of course, something that Democrats were interested in talking about and wanted to push for in this package they ended up not getting it, of course, and they ended up almost unanimously voting for the package, despite having some leverage in this, right? Because one of the things that needs to happen is a constitutional amendment to approve this entire package, which requires a two-thirds vote in the House, and you can't have a two-thirds vote in the House without the support of a you know number of Democrats why do you think they ended up going along with this plan despite those calls and those pushes? Um, this was a matter of a lot of speculation yesterday on the floor over the course of, I'm sure Brad will remember, over the course of eight hours of sitting there wondering what was going to happen. And <laughs> was flying long stretches of points of order we were waiting to pass. But um, but, you know, at some, at some point when we were seeing the 51 votes for all the Democratic amendments, we were thinking they were going to derail the HJR. And then we realized that ultimately, you know, and as we saw, you know, there were a lot of people in the offices that were thinking that the Democrats were going to derail the HJR, at least on first reading. I mean, yeah, first reading or second reading, sorry. Um, they would have had a chance again today to get those hundred if they hadn't reached it yesterday. But um, I mean, ultimately, it, it's it's not easy to explain to your constituents that you have um, that you voted against or killed a property tax relief bill that would have saved them forty percent on their property taxes. And while the Democrats did have leverage, you know, I think that ultimately the notion of killing the property tax bill and being even remotely made responsible for that. Right now, it was the Republicans that were endangering that. You know, if if the Democrats killed it because the Republicans refused to play ball on teacher pay raise, they could easily say, you know, I just, it didn't sound like a solid enough uh, political strategy to enough of the Democrats. Um, and ultimately, the, 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 texts I got right after the HJR vote of like 132 or something, right, to five, um, it was, you know, oh, a bunch of Democrats flipped, you know, they were going to hold the line against the HJR and they flipped. Like 60% of their constituents are renters, for example, so they wanted to be able to make the case for their renters and their amendments weren't germane. They were easily killed on technicalities, you know, um, at least by the justification of the parliamentarian. Everybody knew that. So I think the compromise at the end of the day was let us make our case. Let us see if we can't force some votes on this. Let me take my votes back to, um, you know, back to my people. And we won't derail your constitutional amendment because ultimately a no vote on that is going to look worse for most mm -hmm. people. And that's my long-winded you know, that's kind of where we landed at the end of the day. But I don't know, Brad, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think it was kind of laying the groundwork for what we're going to see in this school choice special whenever that happens. Sounds like October. Um, you know, that's when Democrats are really going to push for the, um, you know, the, the school funding aspects of this teacher pay, what, what have you. 
Uh, we saw one amendment from Representative John Bryant trying to give, or maybe it was Trey Martinez-Fisher trying to give uh, teachers specifically $150,000 homestead exemption. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure if that was killed on a germaneness point of order, if it was just voted down, but um, I, I think it, it is very difficult for anyone. We saw this with Republicans too. Republicans, especially on on the right side of the the GOP caucus, were trying to amend the the bill as well. Yeah, um, yeah. They wanted to make it bigger, and so they're not necessarily, uh, you know, like the Freedom Caucus and those even further uh, right of the Freedom Caucus, uh, Tinder Holt and so, and uh, a couple others. Um, they're not uh, they're not in love with this plan either. Uh, they think it doesn't do enough, doesn't put enough money towards this. Um, but in the end, almost all of them voted for the bill because it is very difficult to vote against a property tax cut, um, especially one, you know, it, it's not, it's not pennies on the dollar. Like it's, it's significant. There are issues with it. There are questions to be asked and there certainly could have been more money thrown at it, but, um, it was not nothing. And so just politically it's, it would be a very difficult vote to justify back in their districts. It's an interesting observation too. I'd kind of forgotten about it and all the talk about the renters and the teachers and everything about the handful of Republicans who tried to amend it as well. Um, you know, there definitely was a moment when they stopped killing each other's amendments on points of order and just let them have the floor for a while and make their arguments and have their votes. Yeah. So I don't remember which which Bryant amendment that started on or who's... Um, but uh, but, you know, it, it the, keeping the hundred votes was um, and, and at the end of the day, they did a good job of it. Obviously, they way surpassed that. But they, they it wasn't just the Democrats. They had to keep their eye on for that. You know, you're right. They they were risking. But, it, you know, I think it was an easy sell. Honestly, once they had the, the you know, cutting people's homeowner you know, taxes in half or close to it and, you know, property taxes across the board. And I think you just can't bring a no vote on that back to your district unless you have a very specific style of district, like, you know, maybe something to do. But the, only the other thing I, I think, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but the other thing I think should be noted is yeah. that uh, in this whole discussion, we hear savings, uh, you know, the, the legislators themselves said it constantly, but that savings is a reduction from what their tax bill would be without sure. this reform. It's, it's not a reduction from what they paid last year. And sure. so, um, you know, odds are you're still probably going to pay more um, than you did the previous year, um, but it will be significantly less than without this this reform. Well, and that may be why they stuck the part in the bill that says that the uh, the uh, taxing district has to include a notice with the tax bills this year saying, due to acts by the Texas Lady Eighth Texas Legislature. <laughs> what your tax bill would have been this is how much you're saving and this is how much it will now be it's like a flyer it's like a, it's yeah. a it is a, a very much an, an advertisement for how the legislature saved you money and you know i mean maybe that's what people want to see i, I i'm going to be interested to see you know see that too but um because people might say see a number that's not 41 percent lower than their last year's number and say what i thought i was going to and you're right, really, it's just, it's a comparative number. So, um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's going to be made clear to everybody when they read their letters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pause for a moment here from our sponsors. Texas 2036, building long-term data-driven strategies to secure Texas's prosperity through our bicentennial and beyond. Find out more at texas2036.org. And Philanthropy Advocates. 
Texas Philanthropy knows that advancing education is investing in economic opportunity for students, families, and our state. Find out more at edtx.org. Okay, so Brad, as you mentioned, we are looking at a likely at least one more special session in October related to school choice. That is, you know, setting aside even the uh, impeachment uh, convening of, of, yeah. of the Senate um, in, in September. The compared to property taxes, or I mean, sorry, compared to school choice, property taxes seems like a pretty easy proposition. We're not going to get a, uh, you know, only five votes out of uh, against whatever bill comes out on, on school choice. Take the temperature for me of the relationship between Dan Patrick and Dade Phelan right now, heading into that conversation. Are we in a better place than we were at the end of May? A worse place? About the same? What do you think? Well, the way they've been talking the last five, six days, uh, clearly they're in a better place than they were at the end of the first special session when the mm -hmm. House, uh, you know, gaveled out signy die on the first day and the Senate convened every day and just railed against them for doing so. Um, it, you know, there aren't, there also aren't dis, uh, debates or discussions or memes being sent back and forth, uh, uh, criticizing each other on Twitter, you know? So <laughs> overall they're at a better place, no doubt. Is it enough to get something like school choice across the line? Um, yeah, gosh, I don't know. Um, the the property tax fight seemed the re we just talked about how it was not very it was hard to object for any mm -hmm. member to that um as an issue itself the the problem the, the problems came in the, the breakdown happened between the speaker and the lieutenant governor uh after weeks and weeks of, of um hitting each other on on certain things the appraisal cap and the homestead exemption but here you know this is a not just a a, a lightning rod issue between the speaker and the lieutenant governor it's a lightning rod issue between the members um especially in the house you know mm -hmm. not only this is not a uh, a few democrats might hold the line and and try and stop this hjr from going through this is republicans are opposed to um especially the kind of school choice reform that the lieutenant governor and in, in much of the senate wants so it it's going to come down to how much the Senate is willing to give on their ideal school choice plan, because we've seen over and over again, those members of the Republican party, um, most of them are, you know, towards the, towards the middle, uh, closer to the middle of the, of the caucus, but not all of them uh, being opposed to a school choice plan. They're, they're very much against it. They voted again. There were two test votes this session and many of them voted against both of them. So um, the Senate is going to have to figure out ways to provide those members with a significant enough carrot. I don't think they're going to beat them into submission over this. It's not going to happen. You know, one of the ways we saw Abbott exert his leverage in this fight, Karen, was um, related to vetoing a bunch of bills and putting in the veto statement. You know, this is not as important as cutting Texas property taxes. Did that have any impact, do you think, on this conversation? Well, first of all, he was right. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were 
I'm not going to bash anybody's legislation because it all affects somebody, right? But but in the scheme of things, they weren't exactly blockbuster bills. He didn't veto the budget. There was no like threatening of hundreds of millions for community colleges or anything mm-hmm. like that. These were some local bills, some niche bills. And again, I'm going to probably get in trouble for that, but from somebody, like I said, not, you know, it's all important. But if we're talking about levels, um, he was right. They weren't as important as property taxes, but they were already passed. So what he was trying to do, obviously, was just kind of stick it to them a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you know, if you if you ask Patrick anyway, and obviously, you know, if you see the result of it, it didn't seem to sway anybody. Um, I don't know that it moved the needle at all. And if it did, I don't think there's anybody that would admit that it did. Um, I, uh, you know, it kept us all on pins and needles and hitting refresh on our veto list until midnight on Sunday night, that night, right on the deadline, but which was right before my vacation. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Because he never did anything to the budget, and that's what we were watching for, you know. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, you know, it was a, it was a, an interesting, dramatic wrinkle in the whole thing. But you know, I don't think that it was the it was the moves the needle all that much. Like, if anything, it just kept up the pressure. You know, it just it, it kept up the pressure. I, I a lot of the reaction I heard was, eh. yeah, I was kind of weak. Well, the- the leverage the governor had was the threat of the vetoes. As soon as he vetoed them, all that leverage is gone. You know, it's, it's done and over with. So what, what incentive do members have after it's already happened to play ball now where they wouldn't before? So it, it, it did not do anything. And now it leaves the question of, do we have all these other bills in a special session with these school issues, or do we have a separate special session later? Questions that are, are being asked in, we won't have an answer to until later. Yeah. All right. right. Well, it was vetoing them all. That was like striking fear into people. You know, it, it was making people like me watch the budget to see if he was going to start doing that, you know, or yeah. people who had real, real skin in the game on some of these major pieces, if he was going to do that, because that's what those little, those little guys fell for was to, was to foreshadow a big, a big death that never happened on those bill, on those vetoes. Anyway, I just want to put that point in. Go ahead, Matthew, please. <laughs> no, was, we have, you know, there will be lots to watch and lots more to discuss, but Gus, but I think that that is about the end of it for today. Maybe Karen and Brad can get a nice little vacation before the next one comes up. <laughs> God <see>. willing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you to both of y'all for joining us. Um, and thank you to Justin, our producer. And thank you to our sponsors, the Texas Association of School Business Officials, Texas Farm Bureau, Texas 2036, and Philanthropy Advocates. We'll talk to y'all next week. The Texas Tribune Festival is a multi-day celebration of big, bold ideas about politics, public policy, and the day's news, headlined by thought leaders, innovators, and change makers. The 2023 Trib Fest runs September 21st through the 23rd in Austin. Learn more at tribfest.org.